Good morning. Had a mini panic attack when I'm coming up on stage and no one's with me as a panel. It's a little nightmares, like, no one else is with me. The panel is just you. The panel is not just me. That's called a sermon. This is a panel Sunday, and we're excited to welcome up two friends who I'll introduce in a moment. A couple quick pastoral announcements. First of all, we had a rental last uh, night of our sanctuary space, of our worship center from a great Christian school. They did Annie. And I just want to say, uh, things are a little disheveled, or you find these boa feather leaves or feathers. They're just everywhere. I uh, just want to make note of that. Uh, but on all truth, some, some pastoral announcements now. Uh, we have this awesome group that E3 is a part of uh, formally this year. We've been informally a part of it for, for a long time, Capital Area Justice Ministry. Uh, we'd invite you, if you're interested, to talk to me after the gathering. I'd love to get you more invested and more insight into what that does in our city. Uh, but we would love to have you come join us on Wednesday night uh, here, and I'll get you all the information if you're interested in helping out with a justice ministry that we are now a part of. Unrelated to that, we have two overseas mission trips this summer that are going to be taking part in. On the screen right now are all of the names. I will not read those, but uh, take some time and look over the names. We have one team of 10 going to Guatemala that are looking in our fundraising. This is the point now where these teams cannot back out because we have plane tickets in their name. And that we are just getting the word out that they may need your prayer support, your financial support. Uh, they may just need an, an extra encouraging hug or a high five as they are planning to go overseas and bless uh, both our overseas partners in Guatemala and Uganda. Uh, yeah, there's Uganda. We are excited to celebrate and be a church that sends teams overseas. And we will be praying for them as they come closer to their time of departure. But just as an FYI, we'd love for your support. If you have questions, talk to Pastor Mike. He did the announcements this morning. Well done, by the way. <laughs> thirdly, thirdly, if you got my email this week, we're in search of a new youth position here at Element 3 Church. I'd love to connect with any or all of you with questions on that role. Uh, we've had a few people express some interest, so I'm excited to see who God will send to help out with the next generation of the church, which is so essential and one that we are very prayerfully considering. So let me know if you have any questions on that. I feel like you're all zoning out because announcements make people zone out. So let's transition. Let's transition. Normally, I love panels. And I, love, I do love this panel, by the way. Uh, but normally in, in messages, I shy away. Normally in messages, I shy away from egocentric theology, saying it's my savior, my faith, my, 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 my. And instead, I try to be all-encompassing that we together as a church and as a big C church have a faith that can be ours. It's not just my salvation or my faith. It's our faith together. But we come to this book of Ruth and had Pastor Mike preach two weeks ago. Pastor Lori, she's somewhere here, preached last week just amazing sermons as we go into this sermon about the identities of this character Ruth that she portrays through these four chapters. Mo she was a foreigner, a Moabite. She was a widow. She had a mother-in-law. We don't know much about her other biological family, but we know that she eventually become a part of the genealogy of the salvation plan of the world, which is really cool. This today is why we're going to be focusing on these micro identities, those labels that you put on yourself and society puts you to put, tells you to put on them and how they can be transformative and transform over your lifetime. I was inspired this week by a meme that I ran across and just had to throw it on the screens of a man who finally gets a identity in his own life only 73 years in the waiting. Sometimes these micro-identities take a long time to mature. Sometimes they come instantaneously in a moment. 
Now, as we alluded to last week, Pastor Lloyd did an amazing job going through the obedience of Ruth and how normal, ordinary people can show God's character to those who need it. We are those normal, ordinary people, to be sure. This week, as we look at chapters two and three, we see Ruth switching identity as John read so well in the beginning parts of chapter two. She becomes a totally new person kind of in an instant, not 73 years in the making. And to help us unpack those micro-identities, I want to introduce Rory and Caitlin. Rory needs more applause. Caitlin had way more applause. There we go. As our panelists are going to unpack this identity, these micro-identities, as we look through these two chapters, we have on the screens right now a vocational, a familial, spousal, cultural, national, and theological identity that Ruth is wrestling with and that we all wrestle with in one form or another. Online, I know there's a connection question that will come up on how you engage in your own identities. And Ruth by herself is none of these individual things, but these micro-identities build up into the person she is and who she becomes. And each identity has to trump another at times. Sometimes your family trumps your nationality. Sometimes your nationality trumps your family, for example. As we get into these questions then, I want to talk through and understand and unpack how does Ruth become Ruth through these little micro-identities. So, Rory, I'm going to start with you. How does your faith guide your decisions and other aspects of micro-identities in your own life? Um, so, um, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about two, um, what I think are pretty significant, um, identities that, um, I've kind of taken on myself. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a person who seeks justice in a lot of different ways and a feminist. Um, and I think, um, my faith has informed those um, identities in, um, you know, a huge way. Um, I think I am motivated to um, seek justice for other people, for myself, um, um, and make the world a more equitable and just place because those are things that Jesus cares about. Um, I think, you know, in scripture we see how he, you know, advocates on behalf of the marginalized. Um, he associates with people that society has discarded mm -hmm. um, and he fights for them and he, he meets people's needs and he uh, looks to, you know, create a kingdom where the playing field is even. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge, um, you know, I, I think that, I don't say that that's why I care about justice. I care about justice because I'm a human being and I think that's what decent human beings should do. But I think, you know, we have an example in Jesus um, of what um, seeking justice and creating equality for people looks like. Um, Amen. And as... As far as, uh, you know, feminism, I have a bumper sticker on my car. I have a lot of bumper stickers on my car. But I have a sticker on my car that says, feminism is the belief that women are people or something, the radical belief that women are people. Um, and uh, shouldn't be that radical, but whatever. Um, but I think Jesus, you know, in his ministry um, was very radical in the way that he included women, um, you know, he announced his resurrection to a woman and told her to go and tell everybody else. Um, and, you know, he, you know, throughout his ministry, he included women not as second-class citizens, but as equals. And again, he sets up this kingdom where these um, divisions between genders are, 
doesn't exist. Everybody is equal in the kingdom of God. Um, and so again, that's um, not necessarily the reason why I'm a feminist, but I think that like that legacy that Jesus left of including women and honoring women um, inspires me to do the same. Amen. Amen. I love that in Ruth, one of the two books named after women, uh, it was meant to be a countercultural just in terms of the main character for the Israelites. And I love that that has carried even into today as we get inspired by her on this panel. I'm going to ask the same question to you, Caitlin. I'm going to say it again in case people were inspired, too inspired by the answer to remember I the was. question. I forgot the question How already. does your faith guide your decisions and other aspects and the micro-identities in your own life? Yeah, I think on a personal level, I, I grew up in a faith background, an evangelical faith background. Um, and there are a lot of wonderful things that came with that background. But one of the things that was difficult for me that I internalized was a guilt-motivated faith, um, that faith was rooted in my inherent sinfulness rather than the goodness and mm. provision of God. Mm. So I think as a younger person, what guided my faith a lot kind of was fear, was like things that I should not do, things that I should refrain from. Um, sometimes that was good because there, there were decisions that I think would have been destructive that I didn't make um, because of, of principles of faith that I was taught. But a lot of it was very guilt-driven and um, like the negative compliment to Rory, like, was I a negative person because of this type of upbringing or just myself? And some of it's probably just myself. We all have different motivations and struggles and guilt has always been one of mine. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, um, I'm married, I'm a mom, I have a seven month old, um, and just kind of in the urgency of an infant of all the life change I've had in the past few years. My husband and I moved here from another state and then we moved two years before that. So we've had a lot of change. Um, I think how faith guides me now is that I try to take, take steps in my daily life that come from grace. Mm. Um, I think that for me, the message that speaks to me the most of Christ and the beauty is that we're all made differently. Christ and the message of Christ kind of takes hold of us in slightly different ways, different values. For me, it's grace. It's the knowledge that um, we were made from joy, not from a sense of burden or guilt. Um, and so that we all have inherent value. There's nothing that we do that adds or detracts from our value. So for me now, I would say my faith guides me in that I try to be gracious with myself. I try to be gracious with others. Um, because I think really that's, that's our heart's desire. We were made to know that we're loved. It's something that's so simple, um, but the, the truths that are most powerful are often the most simple. Um, so yeah, I think, I think for me, how my faith guides me now is that I try to be gracious with myself and others. And that extends to structural things like seeking justice for those who their worth isn't affirmed. Um, I think it also stems from, and we'll talk about this, and we have talked about it in Ruth, is like these very daily kind of mundane actions of care um, because our lives, and I think Ruth really illustrates that, you know, we're the protagonists of our own story and parts of our life feel epic, but a lot of our life isn't. It's very normal and mundane. Um, and it's important that we see those mundane moments as having value to extend love to ourselves and to others. So that's something that I try to do in the mundane 
daily parts of my life is extend grace to myself and to others. Wow. Well said. Two for two, you guys, you, you ladies. I was also to you guys. You ladies, two for two. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, as we get into the second question then, in different seasons of your life, how do you rank those different micro-identities? How do you say, right now I should be a, uh, a, a spouse, I should be a, a mother, I should be a American, I should be a Christian? How do you rank those? And when, sometimes when do those have to be trumped or have to reorient that order? And what sparks that, that reorientation of those orders of those micro-identities? I'm going to let Caitlin start this time. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think for me, like, we like to think that we're always in the driver's seat of our own lives. At least I do. Um, I do too. It's yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, like, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of good that comes from change we make that comes from like our own self-reflection and, and our own sort of inner work. But I think for me, a lot of what has sparked change in my life is circumstantial change. Um, that doesn't mean I avoid or haven't done some inner work, but I feel like in the in the sort of like staticness of life, day-to-day life, we can kind of quiet our inner self. Like we kind of quiet our spirit and what the spirit wants and needs because it just sort of gets drowned out in day-to-day life. Um, and so for me in my life, a big catalyst of, of change has, has been like circumstantial change, something that happens outside of my control. And it makes me feel like myself, my current self is in danger or is really unhealthy or is struggling. And for me, that's what sparks a lot of inner change. Um, and, and like, I see that a lot in Ruth and I see, you know, Mm. Ruth, comes from this place of loss. This is sort of tangential, but I just wanted to like briefly say, I I always really initially struggled with the book of Job and the book of Ruth because I felt like as a younger person, um, in terms of like these micro identities, we saw these people whose identities were built on like a big family and success. And then all of that was taken away and then it is all magically restored with new people. It's like the parts are the same, but the people are interchangeable. And I really didn't like that. I felt like it was doing a disservice to all those people in chapter one, you know, of that person's life. But I think on a personal level of like micro identities, you know, I mentioned I'm a mom, I have a seven month old but I had a miscarriage in 2021. And I, I really, really um, identify with Ruth having this huge loss, like this loss of a life, this person in her life. And I think what we see in Ruth is that, I mean, we don't really know what her, her personality was before, but we definitely know what it's like after. Like she's very bold and she's very stubborn and she's very loyal to this woman who showed her daily acts of love and kindness. You know, I hope my husband is with me for a very long time, but I love my mother-in-law whose name is Ruth. And I, and I really identify with like a fierce love that we can have for the women in our lives who, who mother us. Um, so I say all that to say, I feel like for me, I'd like to say that a lot of change that's come from my life is like my own genius and like self-awareness, but that's not true. Most of it has come from a big life change, a move, a marriage, a death, a birth, you know, a life. Um, so I think for me, um, 
circumstance can dictate a lot of micro identities that that win out. And I think what we do in the midst of that change is what can sort of yield personal growth. I think that's what happens in Ruth is mm. that she yeah. makes a decision like to be a certain type of person in reaction to a life change. Um, and I think that can be the benefit of, of loss or of grief or of change. It's not something that God does as punishment. It's, I think, a side effect of living in the world that we live in. It's a broken world. Things aren't always right, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't act to make them right. And part of making something right is is welcoming rightness into yourself, letting yourself be whole again and have hope again. So I think that to me is sort of this micro identity that I, you know, ones that rule out now um, are being a mom, being a wife, um, and just trying to be a servant, like doing very not flashy, fun things to care for others. I think that's for people who are parents, that's what a lot of being a parent is. Um, and I think we see that in Ruth too. She goes out into a field every day and picks up grain. That's not bold and flashy and exciting. It's very humbling um, and just sort of menial work. So I went off on a tangent, sorry, but I think I think for me, for me, micro identity that is sort of ruling out right now is being a mother, being a wife, um, and just trying to serve the people around me. I'd say my identities right now are a little bit more focused on giving rather than receiving. Um, But that's okay because I've had seasons in life where I've received a lot, um, and I feel like it's a time where I need to be giving more. That's a great answer, and thank you for sharing such a raw part of your own your own history and background. I will say, yeah, I will say that so many women here that I've shared it with have shared stories of loss with me, and it's right. really important and it's powerful. We were given a voice; we shouldn't silence ourselves when we grieve, when we when we are joyous. We should speak it out, um, and a lot of healing comes from that. Amen. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, well said, uh, Royce. Same question: how, how have you reoriented your own micro identities in different seasons of your own life? Um, so when I was in college, um, I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. I know that's not, um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I know that's not a a popular decision in this, um, this town, but I did that. I did that. You're not Um, doing great on the panel. I'm sorry. I will never be invited back again. My (laughs) membership will be revoked. Um, that's fine. Um, but when I was in college, I was super involved in a campus ministry and it consumed my life. Like everything I did was, I didn't go to class because we were like having impromptu worship services and hanging out and reading the Bible and talking about scripture. It was, you know, it sounds like good, but it was terrible for my grades. Um, but my, my life was consumed with. Christianity with church and with my faith. And that was wonderful in that season. Every friend I had, I knew through church, which isn't actually that different from now, but anyhow, um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a time that I'm grateful for because I was able to hyper focus, um, on faith, um, and exploring that faith and learning more and growing as a person and a leader. Um, but when I graduated from college and I moved here, I found it wasn't easy to like replicate that. Um, I had to go to work um, so I could pay bills and like eat. Um, and so that prompted a huge change in, in you know, my identity. Um, 
you know, yes, I was still involved in church, um, obviously. Um, but that stopped being the biggest thing um, as other things moved in, like being a functional adult and having responsibilities that, you know, I can't just peace out on work to go like have an impromptu worship service with my friends. Um, that would be nice actually, <laughs> but um, unfortunately adulting doesn't work that way. Um, and so, yeah, out, outside of that really safe um, and, you know, it was kind of like a bubble. Um, I, you know, other identities uh, began to creep in. And, you know, like Caitlin said, a lot of that has been motivated by circumstance. Um, I remember a huge change happening um, in 2016 um, where I think as a country, as a society, we became, um, we were forced to become um, more comfortable with having difficult conversations about in inequity and um, systemic issues. Um, and so my identity as like a, a black woman really jumped to the front where, right. you know, it, and it's not something, it's not something I can avoid. I mean, um, I have always been black, um, but I feel like I was, you know, in a in a place where that wasn't the main thing about me. Right. Um, and then, you know, through circumstances in the country, that felt to me like the, the it was something I couldn't avoid. Um, and I remember like, you know, walking through the world and wondering like, which people were safe people for me to be around? Like, which people are actively wishing harm to me because of the color of my skin? Mm -hmm. um, and which people are people who are safe for me to be around? Um, and so, you know, over the years, that identity still feels to me like, you know, the, the biggest, it's, it's the undeniable part of who I am. I can't, I can't get away from it. Um, faith changes and my faith has changed and has grown and is, you know, the way that I see the world has changed, but that is the one thing that I can't change. And it's the one thing I can't get away from. And so it's like, you know, Lord of the Rings is the one ring to rule them all. Um, it is. Um, it's the primary way that I feel like I interact with the world. And it's the one thing that I can't, um, you know, no matter what I do, people may never know that I'm a Christian. They may never know, um, you know, what I believe or what I think, but they will always, I will always be a black person. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and yeah, that, you know, that, that's, it is, it's a burden um, to, it, it's a burden, but it's also a wonderful gift. Um, right. And it, you know, helps me to be able to align myself with other people who struggle and right. other people who um, feel disenfranchised and are, are marginalized and who are fighting for um, basic human rights in the world. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, that's a wonderful opportunity, and I'm grateful. I, you know, thank God for that. Like, I wouldn't want to be anybody else, um, because, you know, we all have opportunities to 
generate empathy in our lives. But I just got I just got born into this one. <laughs> um, I'm like, thanks for the softball, right. God. Uh, but um, yeah, I it, it is a, it is amazing how those circumstances do change the way that you know people see us, but also the way that we see ourselves and the way that we identify ourselves. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, really well said, and and thanks for the the rawness of, of of both of your answers on that one because it, it takes this isn't just easy stuff. Um, some of us have been thrown into circumstances we cannot get out of, and some of us through outside circumstances have to adapt to life just as Ruth did. But um, for both of your experiences, thank you for sharing. Uh, and really, um, it's really profound. Yeah. I think it's also important that we don't try to minimize those hard micro-identities. We don't say that I know exactly how you feel, because I don't, and, and you don't. Um, you, you, you don't understand, but you can emphasize, and you can try and, and be alongside those people in those micro-identities. I just want to make it clear on that. Um, we're going to skip around a little bit, and for everyone in the room, we're going to go a little long today, because that's where we're going to go. Uh, so I'm going to go to number four. Um, culturally, what is difficult, and I know, Rory, you, you touched on this, so I want to hear Caitlin's response. What's difficult in finding who you are, what your identity is, your micro-identities amidst cultural noise um, that just kind of permeates all society? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think we live in a culture right now of any, any person's life you want to have a glimpse into, whether it's true or not, you can see it. Um, and any piece of information you want to have, you can have it. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, we live in a cultural noise that is very noisy. There's just a lot of information out to consume and to compare ourselves to. Um, so for me, I think that kind of leads to a lie that, you know, our, our value is in what we do um, and how well we perform. Um, and I think, you know, that's one reason why Ruth is so important. I mean, I think it's a little ironic because Ruth is a very short book and it, ha it does have a lot of action in it. But I think that Ruth made, you know, such bold moves, again, out of circumstance. It was like she needed, you know, a level of, of security. Um, she wasn't protected, you know, with her, her status as a woman, especially a Moabite woman going back to a country that, like, is her enemy. Um, she's not looked upon well, um, and so i I feel like for Ruth, what cut through the cultural noise was love. It was this loving relationship she had with right. her mother-in-law, this really deep female friendship, um, that sort of provided clarity through the noise of the type of person she wanted to be, the type of choices that she wanted to make. Um, so for me, I think a good sort of piece of advice for myself, for everybody like in the midst of noise, find a Naomi, like find a person who their way of loving you, of loving other people, of loving God, the relationship they have with God, it brings you hope and it moves you. I think that in the, in the age of so much information, it's easy to just sort of be dulled to things that move right. you. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of because like, like the internet shouldn't move you too much, like, or certain things shouldn't move you. Like people should move you, like flesh and blood people. So I think for for me, you know, and I see that even with Ruth, although there was no internet, like there was a lot going on. There was a lot of loss. There was a lot of change in her life. She clung to a relationship that gave her hope and made her feel loved and made her feel safe. Um, and I think 
that, you know, for me in my life, that's been going to people I trust, friends that, that I love and, and value. I trust their relationship with God and with other people um, and, and clinging to those people. Um, yeah. Well said. And I, to add on to that, I think there's times where you have to be a Ruth to someone and times you have to be a Naomi to someone else. Mm. And I was recently challenged that I was only being one and I needed to flip-flop. It was, it was a weird conversation and a good one to have mm. in that particular relationship. Uh, at the end of Ruth, we see this beautiful lineage that Pastor Mike will preach on in two weeks of Ruth becomes a great, 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 great grandma of Jesus Christ. And, and all of us would want that, right? I mean, in some sense, we, we would love to be in the lineage of Jesus in one fashion or another, even if we're, you know, the, the distant second cousin of that mailman. We want to be connected to Christ. That's what we're here doing. We're trying to connect to Christ. And so in your, both, for both of you, and either one can start, what are your hopes that you would somehow see in your own lineage of, of, of being a person of these micro-identities? How would you like to be remembered in, in your future? How would you like to be looked upon and saying, you were connected to, to these people in this way? And, and how does that look in your own life? I could start. Um, so as I was thinking about this question, I really, I'm, it sounds really dumb to say, I like music. Everybody likes music. Um, but... Uh, I feel like a, a huge part of the way that I relate to the world is through music. Um, and so as I was thinking about this question, I thought of two different song lyrics. Um, there's a song by uh, Nicole Nordman called Legacy, and mm -hmm. it starts, I don't mind if you've got something nice to say about me. Um, and so I, I was like, yeah, that would be nice. If, to leave that legacy, or at least, at the very least, people have something nice to say about me. Um, and then I thought of um, Hamilton. Um, what is a legacy? It's planting garden. It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. Um, really doesn't have anything to do with my answer, but the, that's where my mind went immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Um, you know, at the end of my life, I w do want to be someone who was known for, um, I think I'm already known as kind of a troublemaker. Um, and I embrace that. I don't have a problem with it. But I hope that that trouble produces good things. Right. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, the places where I have influence... Um, that, you know, after I'm long gone, that those places are more kind and fair and equitable and are able to love people and care for people better. Um, and that in some small way, through all of my rabble rousing um, and complaining and making people do things that make them uncomfortable um, <laughs> and making people uncomfortable in general, that that's the result. Because it's not just for the sake of making people uncomfortable. Um, you know, throughout the last several years um, here at E3, um, I've been a part of, it was called the Diversity Dialogue, um, but been a part of starting uncomfortable conversations about race. Um, and I'm sure they irritated a lot of people and ticked a lot of people off and that's fine. I don't actually care. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's necessary. I think it's, it's necessary. I think, you know, 
people who are marginalized feel uncomfortable all of the time. And so it's good sometimes to have those scripts flipped and for everybody to experience that discomfort. And I think that's one of the things that I identify most with um, Ruth. Um, you know, as I was rereading the book, Ruth, you know, was a stranger. Um, she was an outsider. She wasn't um, an Israelite. She didn't have that faith. She, she was an other, and she was living in a society where she didn't belong. Um, and I feel that sometimes, you know, I feel that a lot. And so, you know, I hope that the legacy that I leave is that those people who do feel marginalized and on the outside in the spaces where I have influence, that they feel a little bit more um, belonging and that the spaces that I exist in can be places where people can find that sense of community and no matter who they are, they can be welcomed and included. Um, because, you know, the alternative is just, it's terrible going some, you know, particularly church, like how many people have felt like this isn't a place where they belong? And if all of my troublemaking and um, and all of the uncomfortable conversations, particularly in this place, make it someplace that somebody else can come and bring their whole self and feel accepted. And that's amazing. Um, and, you know, I hope, I hope that's the thing I leave behind. Um, and if someone has something nice to say about me, that'd be cool too, I guess. <laughs> You're a wonderful person, Rory. Caitlin, what do you think? Well, I just want to say in response to Rory, I think a lot of what you're talking about isn't a lot of troublemaking. It's bringing truth to people who don't want to hear it. Um, that something we're nice not, you said about Rory. Yeah, yeah. She's a truth, truth teller. And that's the example of Christ. I mean... And again, this is, this is a great example of like different facets of Christ that speak to us because I came from a place of enormous privilege. So to me, part of what speaks to me a lot about Christ is like the love that he brings. Mm. But a lot of what speaks to Rory is like the justice and the truth that he brings. He brings it in love, but a lot of love is uncomfortable. Um, and for some people, we're just so protected. We don't really ever have to be that uncomfortable in love. It's just warm and gushy. It's not something that that like requires a lot from us um, or that takes a lot from us. So you're not a troublemaker. You might, maybe a little bit, but like a truth, like a truth teller. I think that's important. Um, yeah. So I think for me, legacy that matters on a related note is like, I want people to remember me as someone that like helped equip them to see themselves with value. Um, cause I think that's what Christ did. He, he showed us that we have inherent value. And when something is valuable, you take care of it and you steward it well. When something is worthless, you don't invest in it and you don't really care about it. Um, and unfortunately we live in a world where some people see others that way. And that wasn't the nature of Christ. So I think, again, like when I was younger, I felt like I wanted to be remembered for things that I did and my own sense of being exceptional. I think now as I get older, as I have added like a generation to my life with a daughter, I want 
her to remember me as someone who equipped her to be an equipper of others and for that to sort of have this this ripple effect um yeah and not not being all soft and mushy but in like loving her in truth and in trying to teach her things that are painful and you know respond to her when she's hurt and also respond to her when she hurts others because she will um and not go anywhere be there for her um but because she has value she deserves like my attention and my growth however that looks um so yeah that's something i think i want to be remembered for i want other people to leave time with me being like she's cool but like i like i feel good about myself um yeah i think that's really important that's very important to me that's what i want to be remembered for wonderful answer wonderful answer as our worship team comes out I want to give this the floor open for one quick comforting thought or challenging thought. If somebody needs a comforting statement over them or if they need a kick in the you-know-where to get going in their life, uh, based, on, based on this conversation, uh, one quick challenging thought or comforting thought. Caitlin, go first. Run, runs to notes. Both, <laughs> both furiously check our notes. Um, I'm going to end with something that it's a prayer on my fridge. It's something that Pastor Mike introduced me to. It's the Thomas Merton prayer. And it begins with, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. And I think that on an initial read of Ruth, we can see her as like a fierce, bold woman. And I think she is, and she was. Um, but so much of our faith, it is not a test of if we know where we're going and if we know all the answers. Our faith isn't a test. It's a relationship that we have with the God who made us. And sometimes just the closeness to God and in the prayer, it says something like, you know, I, I, I believe that the desire to please you is in fact like what is most pleasing to you. It's like the desire to love and to be close to God mm. um, is, is the point of our faith. It's not like winning a test, passing a test. So I say that, I guess, as, an, as a challenge and an encouragement that right. you might need to stop focusing on doing certain things and focus on being with God, finding your quiet place. For me, it's the side of my bed that looks out. There's a window and it looks out over our backyard, which is full of trees. And that's where I sometimes want to and sometimes force myself to spend time in quiet reflection with God. And from that quiet place comes a lot of important growth. So find your quiet place to spend with God. I love that. Great. Um, I think, you know, my in, my encouragement and challenge is, um, you know, to do, figure out the next right thing and do that. Um, and I think the story of Ruth um, kind of, you know, demonstrates that. Ruth just said yes to Naomi and then that was the next right thing. She just said, yes, I'll go with you. And then her whole story unfolds because of that yes. Um, you know, in, in the face of, you know, exigent circumstances, she could have said, nah, I'm done. <laughs> um, in fact, if Ruth and I were friends, I would have been like, girl, what are you doing? No, don't go with that lady. You're young. Um, but she, you know, said yes. Um, and then that yes led to, you know, 
all the things that followed in her being a part of Jesus' genealogy. So um, when we're kind of stuck, I think we get, you know, overwhelmed. We can't see the forest for the trees. So my encouragement would be, like, whatever that little thing is, I think we all feel that nudge of what, of a thing that we could do. Um, And you can call that the Holy Spirit. It might be the Holy Spirit. It could just be like a feeling. Um, but I think that either way, that nudge is divine um, a lot of times. And so if you just listen to that nudge and do one thing, um, one little thing, and then maybe that's the, the yes that unlocks just a world of good things and blessings in your life that you can use to bless other people. So don't be paralyzed um, and be like Ruth and just, you know, say yes. Um, An opportunity presents itself and it seems good. Don't wait for the like best thing ever, but like, oh, this one seems good. I'll say yes and see what God will do through that yes. And who knows? Maybe you'll uh, end up being in the genealogy of someone who, like, you know, does magic, wonderful things for the universe. Can we thank our panelists today? As we transition to this next song, I want it to be a quiet place that Caitlin challenged for us. And then for you to maybe say yes to a micro-identity in your own life, you reoriented in a place where it shouldn't be, maybe to reconsider a place or a pause or a time in your life where you need to rethink that. And so I invite you just to take a time of prayer for this next song as we reflect. <laughs> 